right, book of Revelation. I don't talk about prophecy much because prophecy is going to happen whether you know it or not. I think it's more important you learn how to walk with Jesus and walk with the people you live with. But this Bible is one-third prophecy. One-third of this Bible is God telling the future. And we're going to look at biblical prophecy this morning. In particular, we're going to look at Russia and the Ukraine and the Middle East in prophecy in the Bible today. Match it to what's going on in the world and the things that you're hearing on the news. We're going to look at it from Scripture. And uh, if you've never heard of prophecy before, I want to read you one verse out of Revelation so you'll know what prophecy is when God shows people what's coming. Revelation chapter one, verse one says this. The revelation. The revelation means what? To show you something you don't know, to reveal. That's what the word revelation means. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. What's prophecy? It's when God shows his servants things that are coming in the future. So that's what prophecy is. And again, this book is one third of it. And the large majority of that one third deals with the few final years on earth, which I'm convinced we're in right now. Biggest event in world history. What is it? Biggest event in prophecy. No, number one prophesied thing in the Bible. What is it? It's the second coming of Jesus to the earth. 270 times in the New Testament, the second coming of Jesus to the earth is prophesied. Uh, Jesus Christ came to this earth one time as a humble man to show us what God was like and to die on a cross to make us God's children. He went back to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Let me make an announcement. He's coming back someday. Coming back to this earth. The very, uh, you're going to see this man, one of the funniest places in the Bible. Acts chapter one is where the Bible said Jesus ascended through the clouds back to the right hand of God and the disciples stood staring into the clouds. And two angels came up and said, why do you men of Galilee stand staring into the sky? This same Jesus who went in like manner shall, show come, shall so come back in like manner to the earth. And all through the Bible, we talk about the second coming of Jesus back to the earth. Um, let me tell you about the second coming of Jesus. It's the reason the planet was created. This planet exists for no other reason except the second coming of Jesus. That's why he created the earth. He created the earth and people for one reason. He's looking for a family to spend eternity with. What you're living in right now that we think of as life is a little, the Bible calls it a little three or four second window of time. And you're here for one reason, to make a decision and to make preparation. This is just, the Bible says in the book of James, your life is a vapor. Three or four seconds. We're just here for a few moments to make a decision. Then was the big thing is the new earth. The second coming of Jesus is what the planet was created for. We're just in this little period right now that we're dealing with. All righty. And not only is Jesus coming back, he specifically was asked, what will life be like on the earth right before you get back? In other words, he was asked this, what are the signs of your coming? He said, I'll tell you what it's going to be like right before I get back. So far, so good. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. I mean, this book is hundreds of years old and it reads like this morning's paper. I'm sorry. Nobody reads the paper anymore this morning's cell phone. <laughs> Wherever you get your news from, I keep, you keep forgetting we're old and read papers. I'm going to show you something. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And the disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. Let me pause for a second. He's in Jerusalem, Israel. He's, they're talking about the temple. I don't know if you know this or not. In that period in history... It's called Solomon's Temple. It was the most magnificent building in world history at that time. Took a thousand men, 47 years to build it. Absolutely magnificent. 
And what they're doing, they're, they're bragging on their church building. Look how wonderful this thing is. And they're showing it. Say, look at this building. Look what Jesus said in verse two. Jesus said to them, do you see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another that will not be destroyed. They're showing him the most magnificent building in the world. And Jesus said, you see all this? It's fixing to be destroyed. Nothing will be standing above 12 inches before long. Well, now he's looking into the future. I right, watch what happens. Verse three, he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when are these things going to happen? What will be the sign of your second coming and of the, what are the words? End of the age. The end of life on this planet as we know it. So as Bible tell me right here, life as we know it on this planet is coming to an end. God has a timeline and life on this planet is coming to an end. And it's coming to an end when? At the second coming of Jesus. And what did they say? Are there anything we can, what can we be looking for? What are the signs when you will come back to earth and life on this planet will come to an end? And he's, and he, you can, we're going to read the rest maybe next week, but he went on to show them 10 or 12, depending on how you divide it signs. This is what will be happening in the earth right before I get back. If we look at it next week, you'll see it reads like today's newspaper. All right. But today I want to look at something else. We want to tie the Middle East and Russia in. What is the major sign of the second coming of Jesus? To find out, you have to turn with it to the book of Joel. This is the greatest sign. Now the book of Joel might be a little tough to find. Turn over into the minor prophets, Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Then you get in them little books where nobody reads. They're called the minor prophets. Uh, I, I, finding Joel is actually pretty easy. It's page 800. <laughs> right there, page 800. If you see uh, Amos, you've gone too far. Find the book of Joel. This is the major sign of the second coming of Jesus. All right, I want you to see this in your Bible. I'm going to take my word for it. Joel chapter three, the book of Joel, chapter three. The best way to find the book of Joel is go back to page one where it's got the table of contents and look it up. Now, somebody said to me once, man, you sure find stuff in the Bible fast. Look here, I got a tabbed Bible. All I got to do is just hit it and turn. Joel chapter three, read this with me. All right, Joel chapter three, verse one. This is prophecy. Behold, in those days, see the phrase in those days? That's the same word used as latter days, end of the days, end time, in those days, they all come from the same word. So he said, in the latter days or in those days, at that time, I will bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem. That's it right there. We're going to see a little further. He said, the number one sign of my return is I'm going to bring my people back to their land. Jews scattered all over the world are going to come back to their homeland of Israel. This is the number one sign he said that we're to look for until all the Jews come, not all of them, but until the Jews return to Israel, I cannot come back to this earth. Now, let me tell you something about Israel. Israel is the center of world history in God's eye. History will wrap up in Israel. Uh, Israel is the apple of God's eye. Israel is the only nation on this planet to be completely dispossessed from their land twice. The first time was in 500 BC, the king of Babylon brought his armies and Israel's a tiny sliver of land. It's just a tiny nation. Uh, Israel would fit inside just the state of North Carolina six times. We got four or five counties that would make up the whole land mass of the nation of Israel, tiny nation. King of Babylon came and attacked Israel and crushed it. Took all the nation, all the Jews back to Babylon. That was 500 BC. 430 BC, the Persians conquered the Babylonians, if you know world history. The Jews were allowed to go back to their homeland. 
They stayed there until the days of Jesus. And when Jesus said, see these buildings, it'll be destroyed. He said that in the year 32 AD. And he said, these buildings will be destroyed. And he prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem and Israel, that the whole city would be overthrown in Luke 17, Matthew 24, the nation would be overthrown. All right. Jesus was crucified. He rose from the dead. He went back to be with his father in the year 33 AD. 70 AD, Titus, the Roman general, came and crushed Israel. He destroyed Israel, desolated. And most of the Jews were carried back to Rome. Again, they were taken out of their country, went, brought back to Rome. And the Bible from that time, 70 AD, for 1900 years, the Jewish population was scattered all over the world. If you remember, even up to World War II, there were Jews all over the world. They were in uh, Poland, Holland, uh, Sweden, many in Russia. They were shotgunned all over the world. But the prophecy is in that day, I will bring my people back to their land. The most significant day in world history concerning the wind down of this planet, May 14, 1948 was the day that General David Ben-Gurion, the Jewish leader, declared his independence and Jews began to come back to Israel. And on May 14, 1948, Israel declared their independence from Great Britain, just like the United States did. On that same day, President Harry Truman recognized Israel as a nation and many countries followed suit. May 14, 1948 was the birth of the nation Israel for the second time. He said, I will draw my people back to Israel before I come back again. And uh, Isaiah 65 verse eight says this, will a nation be born in a day when Zion, and Zion is the name of Israel in its glory. When Zion travailed, she gave birth in a day and a nation was born in a day. That day was May 14, 1948. Most significant day on God's calendar was the day his people came back into their land. So he brought them back in that day. But now watch what else he says in Joel chapter three. In those days or in that day, at that time, I will bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem. Now watch these words. I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. He said, not only am I going to bring Israel back into their land. Now the valley of Jehoshaphat is Israel. It's in Israel. He said, not only am I going to bring Israel back to their land, I'm going to bring the nations of the world into Israel. Not all nations, not all 242 about 10 or 12 nations. And God said, they're going to attack Israel. Why are they going to attack Israel? God said, I'm going to cause it to happen. I'm going to bring these nations against my people. And this is leading up to the culmination of the second coming. And uh, we'll, let me, let me, let's read it. To get, let's read a little bit more here. Verse two, I will gather all nations, bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, because of my people. My heritage Israel, whom they've scattered among the nations. Can there be any doubt who he's talking about? And they've divided my land. You don't divide his land up, but they're in trouble because they've done it. All right. Now, the question is, who are these nations that he's going to bring against Israel? The Bible could not be clear. Russia's going to lead the way. Why don't you turn me to Ezekiel chapter 38. That's easier to find. Turn to your left and you'll go back, get into the major prophets. If you see Daniel, you'll see Ezekiel in front of Jeremiah. Ezekiel 38 is where he continues talking about, I'm going to bring my people back to their land. And then I'm going to cause nations to turn against Israel and I'm going to bring them to Israel for war. And again, he's behind this. He's doing all this. But Ezekiel chapter 38 is the great passage. Uh, Ezekiel 36 through 39 deal with Russia in the Bible. But Ezekiel 38 in particular, I want you to read these words. Let's look in verse, chapter 38, verse one. The word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh. Now Gog is a man. 
in a land called Magog, but he's called the Prince of Rosh. If you were to take an ancient biblical map from that day, there's a tremendous landmass to the north of Israel called Rosh. Today we know it as Russia. So Gog is the leader of Russia or the prince of Russia. And he said, I want you to speak against the president or the prince of Russia. And I want you to talk against him. And then he mentions three other countries. Uh, two others, Meshach and Tubal. Verse three, and thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, Gog, leader of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal. Watch verse four. I will turn you around and put a hook in your jaw and lead you out with your army, horses, horsemen, splendidly clothed, a great company with shields. Buckler is a small shield, shields. All of them handling swords. What's he say? I'm gonna bring the armies of Russia. I'm gonna bring these armies against my people. All right, verse five. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya are with them. All of them with shield and helmet. So it tells you they're coming in military style. Gomer and all its troops, the house of Tagarma, Tagorm, somewhere else. From the, from the where? From the far north and all its troops, many people with you. What did God say? I'm gonna bring these nations against my people. And where are they coming from? Where did it say? Far north. Fellas, if you got my map of the other hemisphere, put it up there if you would, please. All right. That's the, that's the Eastern hemisphere. We live in the Western hemisphere. That's the Eastern hemisphere, pretty much the Northern part. Some of it down the South. I want you to look Africa down here on the bottom left-hand corner. You see in the top right-hand corner of Africa, you see Egypt to the upper right hand of Egypt. You see something looks like an upside down arrowhead. That's the Sinai Peninsula. But then you see a little sliver of land. That's Israel right there. That's the nation Israel. It's just a very tiny nation. I want you to look on the 30, Israel sits on the 37th parallel of the grid. Look straight up the 37th parallel. What do you see to the north? What's the next city? Moscow. And he said, I will bring these out of the north down on my people. Now just leave that up there for a second, fellas, so I can show them. Let me do this. Uh, all these other nations that he mentioned, we don't know those names. Let me give you the biblical names of those land masses right now. Of course, Rosh is Russia. Magog, when he says Gog of Magog, Magog is the landmass, I call them the stands. You've got Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Azerbaijan, all the Turkmenistan. <laughs> See all them stands? And then of course the bottom two, Afghanistan, Pakistan. There's seven stands. That landmass makes up the biblical landmass of Magog. Uh, you want to see that there. All right, <clears throat> let me go a little further. Gomer, Meshach, and Tubal is a, are three countries that are now one country, and they are the country of Turkey. If you see Turkey directly north of Israel, uh, you see Ankara there, the uh, country of Ethiopia. Now we have a country called Ethiopia. You can see it down at the very bottom of the map there. But at that time, the biblical Ethiopia covered Ethiopia and the Sudan. So Ethiopia and Sudan make up the biblical Ethiopia. Now there's one more country he mentions. Um, if you look to the, it'd be to your right, the country of uh, Persia. To the right of Israel, you see a country, it was Persia then, today it's called Iran. Iran is biblical Persia. So what do you see there? You see Russia, to, Russia's the landmass that covers, it's bigger than Europe and the Middle East, most of Africa combined. You have Russia and then you see those nations circling Israel. Okay guys, you take that down. Thank you, sir. That's the landmass. Um, and those nations around Israel that he speaks of in this passage, they're all Russian allies now. Uh, Many people with, concerning the war in Afghanistan, why did Putin go into Afghanistan? That's very simple. Even our own State Department leaders are telling you 
This man has grand visions of reviving the former Soviet Union. You've heard that. In 1991, the Soviet Union was broken up. Before that, the Ukraine was a part of the Soviet Union. Those other countries were. The Soviet Union was broken up. This man is demon-possessed. He has grand visions of rebuilding the Soviet Union again. Our State Department leaders will tell you that. What does the Bible say? Rosh. The landmass of Rosh was the former Soviet Union, and God has put it in his heart to put this back together and to bring this tribe together. Uh, now, question is, why are these people going to attack Israel? Why do these nations want to attack Israel? The Bible gives you three reasons. And we've already seen in Ezekiel 38, they're, they're going to come against. Let's read verse 9 of Ezekiel 38. You will ascend coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops. So this is military. Thus says the Lord God on that day it shall come to pass. Thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan and you will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people and attack them. All right. What does the Bible say right there? You're going to get these thoughts in your mind, Putin or whoever it is, these leaders, and you're going to get it in your mind, an evil plan to attack Israel. Who put it in their mind? Read verse four again. I'm going to put a hook in your jaw. I'm going to bring you against my people. God's behind what's going on. And he's going to cause these nations to come to Israel to destroy Israel. But the reason they're coming, they don't know this. Most people don't know who's running the earth right now behind the scenes. But the issue is, why are they coming? Now, don't you listen to me. There's three reasons the Bible gives that these nations are going to attack Israel. And it's in verse 12. Number one, to take plunder, to take booty. What's that? You want the wealth. They're going to come to steal the wealth of Israel. The other reason, and uh, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited. They want the land. Number three, against a people gathered from the nations, Israel. They're coming for three reasons. They want the wealth, they want the Israeli land, and they hate the Jews. The spirit of Satan entered a man named Adolf Hitler years ago. He wanted to dominate the world. But what was at the very evil heart of Hitler more than anything else? I want to destroy God's people. I want to destroy the Jewish people. He was on a demon-possessed rampage to destroy the Jews. Let me ask you a question. Why Jews? What did he have against the Jews? They'd never done anything to him. Many people non-Christians wonder, why did he hate the Jews so bad? Who put that in his heart to hate the Jews? That is the very heart of Satan to hate the apple of God's eye. And the same heart is going to be in the leader of Russia. And it's shaping up like it's going to be Mr. Putin. But he's coming against him. Now, you've got to understand all those nations are coming for different reasons. Russia don't care about the land. They don't care about the people. Russia wants the wealth. Those other nations are not coming for the wealth. They're coming for the land and they hate the Jewish people. All those other nations are Muslim nations that are in what's called a, you ever heard this? A jihad. A jihad is a Russian, excuse me, it's a holy, quote, holy war. It's a war driven by our God. And the primary purpose of jihad is to what? Destroy Israel. To come against Israel. And that's why those nations are coming. Now, let me tell you why Israel, let me tell you why Russia wants uh, Israel's wealth. One of our former ambassadors said this, Russia is nothing. Russia is the gas station for the Western Hemisphere. Excuse me, Eastern Hemisphere. Russia supplies the fuel, over 50% of the fuel, for the entire Eastern Hemisphere. And uh, their main fuel and the coming fossil fuel in the days ahead, of course, is natural gas. And Russia needs the gas. You ever heard of the Nord Stream pipeline? That was Russia's pipeline to get gas to Europe. Natural gas. Rus gas pays their bills over there. Natural gas. Guess who has the most natural gas on the planet? Israel. Untapped. Not what they're using now. Untapped right off the shore of Israel. I can't even imagine this number. 33 trillion 
metric feet of natural gas. Largest reserve of natural gas in the world. God said, I will bless my people. He meant what he said and he's done it. 33 trillion feet of natural gas right off the shore of Israel. Russia's got to have that gas to continue doing what they're doing. Now, the question is, um, what's this thing with the, this thing with the Ukraine? All right, Ukraine's very easy to understand. Not only does this man have grand visions of rebuilding the former Rosh or the former Soviet Union. Uh, if you'll understand this, fellas, put my map back up there and let me show you something. All right, oh, you see Russia up there. See Ukraine? Ukraine is to the uh, southwest of Russia. I want you to look at the border of Ukraine and Moscow. You can't, excuse me, Ukraine and Russia right there. You know what that is? That's the world's breadbasket right there. That massive land, half of it's in Ukraine, half of it in Russia, just a little circle of land right there, supplies one third of the world's grain and bread. That land is so fertile and it's so perfect for growing wheat. One third of the world's wheat comes from that Ukrainian-Russian border right there. Uh, we get one third of our bread from them. Now we're gonna be all right. Because even right now, as you've seen in the news, our farmers in the Midwest and in the Midwest are converting to grow more wheat to make up for what we're going to lose over there. We're not going to get hurt that bad by gas. Exxon's going to make sure we suffer a little bit. We only get 10% of our gas from them, but we get our bread from them. But now here's the problem. The entire Middle East, which is uh, Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and all of the continent of Africa, 80% of their bread comes from that border right there. 80% of all the wheat, all the bread they get comes from that border right there. Uh, countries like Lebanon, every piece of bread eaten in Lebanon comes off that border right there, the Ukrainian-Israeli border. And uh, now people are not feeling the sting right now. Why? I mean, we know it's coming. People are not feeling the sting. But if that man takes over Ukraine, he controls, he can manage, manipulate the world's food supply. Now we, we might could do without fuel. I'll be fine. I can ride my pony. We, we might could do without certain things. What's the one thing this world can't do without? Food. He's gonna have his hand on the world food supply. And uh, we're not feeling it right now. Why is that? Because right now we're still eating last summer's bread. You, you don't grow wheat today and eat it tomorrow. We're still eating last summer's bread. And if you'll look at Russia, that great, that right there. Okay, fellas, we'll leave it for a second. Where the Ukraine, Russia joined together there. They're on the same meridian line as we are, which means their planting season is the same as ours on the other side of the world. Okay, fellas, take it down. Thank you. And uh, it's time to plant. Not right now. In a few weeks, our farmers will start planting their crops. They'll start planting their crops. And what they're going to plant will, will be the world's food starting in next fall, this coming fall. The sting won't be felt till this fall. But you've already seen in the news, Ukrainian farmers can't plant because of the war that's going on. Russian farmers are tied up. Well, here's the, here's the problem. If that war goes on and he captures the Ukraine, he's going to control the world food supply as far as the bread. All right, the United Nations has something called a World Food Bank. They are the largest supplier of food for needy countries. They supply most of the needy countries, and that includes parts of Africa, Sub-Sahara, whatnot. The World Food Banks gets over, food bank, food bank gets over half of their wheat and bread from one country. Russia, and it comes off the Russian-Ukrainian border right there. Uh, let me quote to you. The USDA, that's the United States Department of Agriculture, that's the federal agency responsible for our food supply, is beginning to sound the warnings. Their chief economist, that's the guy who tells you what's coming in the future with the food chain. Let me quote, his name is Joe Glauber. Let me tell you what he said, quote, the Ukrainian war will create the biggest shock to the world's food supply in a lifetime, and it'll last for years to come. But again, we're not, nobody, you're not hearing much about this because we're eating last year's bread. But this is coming. 
Uh, now, let me tell you one way it's going to affect us. This is why we've had such, we can't deal with Putin too difficulty, too, too harshly. We grow our own wheat and our own food over here. Tell me the one thing you have to have in America to grow food. We've depleted all the nutrients out of our soil. What do you have to have? Fertilizer. Where's the world's fertilizer come from? Russia. Over half the world's fertilizer comes from Russia. Ask any farmer, what's the price of fertilizer right now? It's gone up 400% in the last little bit here. This is placing the control of this world in one evil man's hands too much. And that's why I said, I will bring them to this place. Now let me shift gears. Russia is going after Israel to have the resources. The Muslim nations, they want to get in this war because they hate the Jews and they want the land. And we're already in a battle over the land called Israel right now. All right, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say something. I, I pray this don't offend you. If it does, I didn't write it. Take it up with the one who wrote it. Our nation is making some terrible decisions right now at the leadership level. We are very foolish in the way we're dealing with Israel. God was very clear. And if you want to look this up in the book of Joshua chapter one, God brought his people and said, I'm taking you to a land of promise. Anybody remember this? Taking you to a promised land. I give this land to you and your children forever. And he meant what he said. And then in Joshua chapter one, he said, be very courageous. You will lead my people into the land that I give them forever. And then you can look it up in Joshua chapter one. He defined the geography of that land to a precision point. From the river Euphrates to the Mediterranean Sea, from Lebanon to the north and down. He, he, I mean, it's clearly defined in, but he said, this is your land. He said, it's my land and I'm giving it to my people forever. And we're in, we're in trouble right now as a land because we're starting to want to divide that land. He said, the judgment's going to come on those who divide my land. And we've got an administrator. This is not Republican or Democrat. This is foolish. We have, a, Repub we have a, 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 a leadership right now that is pushing for the division of God's land in Israel. Now, let me tell you what the Bible says about that. He who touches Israel touches the apple of my eye. He who blesses Israel, I will bless. He who curses Israel, I will curse. Don't mess with Israel. It's the apple of God's eye. And this is what the end times is all going to be about. I will bring them into judgment because they have plundered my people. Listen, listen, and divided. Whose land? My land. And he takes what we're doing over there very seriously. Let me see if I can uh, parable this for you. If you cuss me out and talk ugly about me, I'll laugh and walk off. I got, I'm busy. If you slap me, I won't like it, but I'll turn the other cheek. I will. You mess with my youngins, I'm going to come on you like a windmill on spring breeze. Don't screw with my children. And you're the same way. Israel is the child of God. They're the apple of his eye. And he said, I'm going to bring them into battle. Now, where do he say he's going to bring them? Remember the book of Joel? I will bring them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. What's the modern name for the Valley of Jehoshaphat today? It's called the Megiddo Valley. You can go to it today, the Megiddo Valley. Revelation chapter six, verse six says this, I will gather them together in the Valley of Megiddo. Uh, Revelation, excuse me, 16, 16. Revelation 19, verses 17 through 21 describe a great battle. Does anybody know the name of that battle? The Battle of Armageddon. In the, Megiddo, the battle in the Megiddo Valley or the Battle of Armageddon. This great battle when in 1948, he gathered Israel back to their homeland and he's going to cause Russia and these nations to invade Israel, to destroy them, take their wealth and destroy the land. Let me show you what's going to happen. And this is called the battle of Armageddon. I want you to look with me. It goes on through chapter 38. Let's look in chapter 39. Chapter 39 is where the battle, this battle of Armageddon progresses. Chapter 39, verse one, and you son of man prophesy against Gog. Now remember, Gog is not a land, it's a man. It's the leader of Russia. 
Prophesy against Gog, and thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, Prince of Rosh, or Russia, we'd know it as today, Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around and lead you on, bringing you up from the far north, you saw from what was north of Israel, and bring you against the mountains of Israel. Again, I'm gonna say this, God's gonna cause this war to happen. I'm gonna bring them against Israel. Verse three, then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the heirs to fall out of your right hand. You shall fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the people who are with you. I will give you to the birds of prey of every sort of the beast of the field to be devoured. You shall fall on the open field for I have spoken, says the Lord God. I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security on the coastlands. They will know I am the Lord. These nations are gonna come against Israel. It's gonna look like a, a very one-sided affair, but what does the Bible say? God says, I'm gonna step in and I'm gonna fight this battle for Israel and I'm gonna crush you on the fields. And you can read the rest of that chapter. He said this, I won't even allow you to take your dead bodies back home to bear them. They'll bear them right there in Israel. Now, scholars that I've read, some say this, some say Israel won't have to fire a shot. That God himself, when these nations, when you see these cities around Israel, as Jesus said, when they assemble, God himself's gonna step down. I, I think that's stretching a little bit. The Bible doesn't say that. I'm gonna be honest with you. Israel is second in the world only to the United States in military power and insight. Let me tell you, let me say this about Israel. Ain't nobody knows what they got over there. I'm telling you, if, don't mess with Israel, not only for Jesus' sake, you better not mess with them for their sake. They may, it may be. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step outside the Bible for a second and tell you what I think is coming. There is a country, the most demon-possessed country in the world, its leaders is the country of Iran. The Iranian people are precious people. They're wonderful people. Matter of fact, one of the great outpourings of Christ is in Iran right now. People are coming to Jesus miraculously. and You're not allowed to mention his name in public in Iran. It's illegal. You suffer terribly if you love Jesus. But God is saving people. Iranians, are. Jesus is coming to them in dreams saying, I am the Messiah, and they're following him. But their leaders are absolutely insane. They're demon-possessed. And their leaders live with one purpose in mind. What is it? Blow Israel off the map. And they're working on it right now. You know that if you know news, you know they're developing a nuclear bomb. And our nation is playing the fool. Messing with them and these silly little accords and discussions we're having. They're playing us like a cheap violin while they're putting that bomb together. They're stretching it out. We are fools the way we're dealing with them. And let me tell you something. Israel knows this. Now, this is my prophetic opinion. Israel knows what's going on. Israel's been trying to tell folks, but Israel cannot allow Iran to get that bomb because if Iran gets it, they're going to pull the triggers going straight to Israel. This is my opinion. Israel's fixing to knock a hole in Iran. Israel's fixing to mount up. And here's the message you're hearing from the leaders of Israel. You nations wouldn't help me. The United States wouldn't help us. We'll defend ourselves. And that triggering event is going to cause Russia, which remember, Iran's a close proxy with Russia. That's the reason Russia's going to head toward Israel. And who's behind it all? I will put a hook in your jaw and I will cause you to come. And I will bring you there. And of course, this is the great battle of Armageddon. Now, if you know biblical prophecy, on the timeline, this thing called the battle of Armageddon triggers two great world events. At the moment of the battle of Armageddon, two things are going to happen. Number one, the rapture of the church. Number two, it's going to start a period of time in world history Jesus called the tribulation period. It's a seven-year period of hell on earth, like nothing's ever been seen before. Now, I want to put these together for you from Scripture. The Bible said that when you see Israel surrounded, and uh, when this happens, it's going to trigger something called the rapture of the church. Now, I've had a lot of people say, Preacher, 
I love you. I love to hear you. But when you start that invasion of the body snatcher stuff, you lose me. I don't believe that stuff. <laughs> Let me say this. If you're one of them, you better be right. You better be right. I'm telling you, Jesus is going to take his bride out of this land. Let me quote to you. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses 16 through 18, where Jesus said this, the trumpet will sound. We who are alive in our name shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. God's going to take his bride out of this earth and he's going to lift this church. Listen, you got to understand something. Jesus is coming back for his bride that he loves. He didn't die for us and save us so we could be here and he could be there. Let me tell you why he, let me tell you what the whole purpose of creation is, why he came to this earth and suffered like he did. Here, here, see if you, see if you've ever heard this before. In my father's house. Now I don't mean, I hate, I'm fixing to ruin your Southern gospel music. In my father's house are many, not mansions. I know your Bible says mansions. It's a terrible translation. The Greek word is rooms. I'm sorry. I throw your albums away. In my father's house, are, and you'll see why it's important. In my father's house are many rooms. I'm going for a while to fix a place for you. And if I go fix a place for you, I will come back and get you. And I will take you to where I am so that where I am, you can live with me. That's John chapter 14. Now, that doesn't make a lick of sense to you, but if you were Jewish, you'd understand that. I had a Jewish wedding in that day and in this day. Usually they're prearranged between families. But when a young man gets ready to be betrothed, they don't get engaged, they get betrothed. The betrothal is stronger than engagement. He goes to the bride's house. He carries the bride price with him. A lot of money. Young men have to buy their wives. You have to pay a tremendous price to the father of the bride to get married. It's called a bride price. He carries the bride price with him. They sit down with the parents, the bride, excuse me, the groom, the prospective bride and the groom and the bride's parents. They sit down. He pays the father the bride's price. If the father accepts that bride's price, that means they can get married. The next thing they do, they pour wine. They sit there and they drink wine and they drink one glass of wine to celebrate that drinking that wine seals the deal. You're engaged as we'd call it or betrothed as they'd call it then. When that groom gets done drinking that wine, he says this every time, I will not drink the fruit of the vine again until I drink it with you in my father's house. You ever heard that before? And then he leaves and he goes back to his father's house. Young Jewish men, they didn't, they didn't build their own homes. They built rooms onto their father's homes. And he would begin, he would build a room on his father's home, maybe two home, two rooms. And that would be where he and his bride would live. It might take him a year, year and a half. He'd get those rooms finished, to get that room finished. And then his father was required to look at the room. And he couldn't go get his bride until his father said, it's good, you can go get her now. And when the father of the groom said, it's time, he would call his friends to his house and they would have a great big processional, usually in the night. And they would march all of his friends to the bride's house trumpets blaring, a lot of racket, and they'd get to the bride's house and they would have a seven day wedding at the bride's father's home. They do that to this day. Uh, it was at one of those weddings where Jesus turned water into wine because they'd ran out of wine and he converted the water so they could finish the wedding. That's the Jewish wedding. Jesus came to this earth looking for a bride. He brought the bride price with him. He paid a hellish, horrible price to get a bride when he died on the cross. Right before he died, he ate dinner with his friends for the last time and he took the wine. He said, this is my blood spilled for you. What do you say after you drank that wine? I will not drink this again new till I drink it with you in my father's house. For 2,000 years, Jesus hadn't drunk wine. You say, they drink wine in heaven? Yes, they do. Hadn't drunk it for 2,000 years. He's waiting on somebody. 
He's waiting on you. He said, I won't drink wine again until you get to my father's house. And he said, I've been building a place for you. And he said, I'll come back and get you. The rapture of the church is when he comes back and gets his bride, his people. Takes us to his father's house. In the book of Revelation, what's it called? When, when everybody gets into heaven, what, what's the start of period? What's it called? The marriage supper of the lamb. The great celebration of the marriage of Jesus with his people. Now, this, this is why history was created. This is, uh, this is the purpose of life. Now, a lot of people scoff about this rapture thing. Scoff if you want to. I want to see if you scoff after it happens. Let me tell you what Jesus said about the rapture of the church. This is Luke 17, verses 34, 36. In that day, when I return, two men will be working in the field. One will be taken. The other one will be left. Two women will be working in a mill. One will be taken. The other will be left. Two people will be asleep in a bed. One will be taken. The other will be left. So shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. That's the rapture of the church. I'm telling you, everybody that truly knows Jesus, not religious people, everybody that knows Jesus in their heart born again, they're going to disappear off this earth. The Bible said in the twinkling of an eye. You know how long that is? That's one fortieth of a second. In a moment, going to be gone. Man and wife asleep in bed. He hears a noise. He turns his head. She's gone. Wish we'd all been ready. Just a necklace laying on a pillow. Man's going to be sitting with his family at the dinner table. He's going to hear a noise. He's going to be sitting there by himself. Wish we'd all been ready. This is, the, this is all through the Bible. It's the clear teaching of the Bible that he's coming back to get his children. He said, well, why would some people believe that Christians are going to go through that period called the tribulation period? You stay if you want to. You know why I'm not going through it? Because Jesus loves me. Now, let me quote to you from the book of Revelation concerning that horrible hellish period. This is Revelation chapter three where he's speaking to the church that he loves. This is verse 10 where he said this, because you have loved me and you have kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial that will come upon the whole world. He loves me too much, let me go through that. He's coming to get me. <laughs> Thank God, I, I tell you, I, I could spend hours on this because I love it so much. And then there's gonna be something called, on the, at that battle of Armageddon, that's the triggering event we've called the great tribulation period. As soon as the church is out. Dear ones, God cannot judge this world till the church is out of it. There are two great pictures. One was Lot. When they came to Lot, he said, I'm gonna judge this city, but I can't judge this city till I get you out of it. And he lifted his people out of it. The other is Noah. And he spoke about the great tribulation period. And Jesus said this, it's a period of pain on the earth such as has never been before. Matter of fact, the book of Revelation, it goes from chapter six to 19, describes seven years called the tribulation period. I'll, I'll just tell you, I'll, we're not gonna look at it this week, but I'll say this about it. One half of the earth's population is killed during that seven year period. That'd be four billion people right now from starvation, pestilence, and wars. And uh, again, we'll look at that more later. You know what I mean? Now here's two words, two words from the scripture two promises. If you reject Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you don't receive his kindness and his promise, you're going to be left behind when the rapture comes. I, I don't know any other way to fancy that up. I'm just telling you, God tells the truth. And this Bible's true. And if you don't know Jesus, you don't know that you know him anytime now. Everything's been fulfilled. The only thing that had to be fulfilled for the second coming of Jesus, what? 1948, the Jews had to reassemble in Israel. That had to happen. He couldn't come back until that happened. But for those who follow Jesus, let me make an announcement. Lift up your eyes. Your redemption draweth near. 
Now, let me again say this. We have a problem with, I want you to understand what I'm fixing to say, the way we view life and the way he views life. We need to start viewing life the way he does. Let me tell you how we view life. See if you agree with me. Here's my life. I'm born. I'm a kid. I get education, get a job, wife, 2.4 kids, grow old, croak, die, maybe go to heaven. That's our life. That's how we see it. That's not how God sees life. That's not his view of human life. His view, his view is, I created everybody for a purpose. And I'm going to give you about four seconds. Again, book of James, your life's just a vapor. I'm going to give you about four seconds on a temporary ball of dirt to make a decision and to get ready. And then is when life starts for eternity. We got these little temporary earth buses. They're just, these are just supposed to last a few days. You know that. But dear ones, let me tell you why you know what I'm saying is the truth. In Ecclesiastes chapter three, he has put eternity in their hearts. We are eternal beings. We were created to live forever. Not in this bus, this body. All right. Second Corinthians chapter five says this. We've got a temporary body. It's going to be destroyed. But if this body is destroyed, we have an eternal body like unto the body of the Lord in which we shall live. And then it talks about being gathered together. Listen to verse five in second Corinthians five. He who created us for this very thing is God Almighty. You weren't created for this planet. You were created for the next planet. You were created for the eternal planet with which we long to be there. That, that's why old songs used to go like this. This world is not my home. I'm just a traveling through. My, my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. My angels beckon me to heaven's open shore. I just can't feel at home in this world anymore. I'm just, I'm at a stopping point. That's why Peter called us sojourners and truck. We're just passing through. This is a temporary bump right here. Now, uh, let me, uh, we're just created to live forever with the Father. All right, let me answer a question, especially for young people that have talked to me about this. A lot of people are like disappointed that Jesus might come back. I understand that if you're young. I've had young people say to me, man, I, I won't ever get to be married. I won't ever get to have a family. I won't ever get to have a career. Let me say this to you. His timing's perfect. He determined the day you'd be born, you were born for such a time as this, all this was planned out. But let me promise you this. I'm gonna promise you something. If Jesus comes back when you're 21 years old, you don't get to be married or have a family or whatever. Five minutes after he gets back, you will not be disappointed. Not even close. Romans chapter five, verse five, the hope of Jesus does not disappoint. Now, let me tell you something. I, I, and I've had folks be honest with you. So I, I mean, I sure don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven, but I'm really enjoying this life right here. You will not be disappointed either. I don't know how to say this. I can't say it, but I'll just tell you this. I have been there in prayer. You will not be disappointed. You can't describe it. He said, what? has never entered into the mind of man the things God's planned for those who love him. I tell you this, one moment in his presence, your heart will burst with joy like you've never known. We were created for this, dear ones. This planet was not supposed to, I praise God for environmentalists. I'm, I'm one of them. I got news for you. This planet was built to burn and it's going to burn. You global warming, Second Peter chapter three. The earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now you better, we need to take care of it. I'm gonna tell you, this is a temporary planet. I heard somebody say the other day, what's it going to look like in a thousand years? Toast. <laughs> Burnt toast. Right, let me quit saying this. So what? So what? What if what I've said this morning is true? 
But you got to make a decision. Have you heard the truth? Or is this a bunch of, is this the ramblings of some hick preacher? What if this is true? What if I've told you this morning's truth? Should it affect me? Why don't you listen to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, when he described the coming new earth for which we look in righteousness dwells. He said this, seeing how these things will come to pass, what, how, what effect should it have on us? What manner of person should we be? I'll give you three warnings and three things you need to know if what I've said is true. Number one, God's calling shots. If you look at the news and you listen to people, you think the world's spiraling out of control. It's not out of control. Who's calling the shots? I will do this. I'm lining things up. We're on his timetable. Daniel chapter four, verse 32 says this, that men might know that God rules in the affairs of nation. Men might know that God rules in the affairs of nation. Make no mistake about that. All right. Uh, Second thing. I see the worry on the people. I'm watching people worried today because of what's going on. People are scared because fuel prices are going out of sight. Housing prices are going out of sight. Food prices, you've already felt the crunch of fertilizer. Going out of sight, let me make an announcement, it's going to get worse. So are we going to be worried and be afraid? Now listen, this is one of the places where Jesus talked about this, Luke chapter 21, he said this. In the latter days, perplexity, nations against nations. And then he said this, men's hearts will be failing them for the fear of things happening in the earth at that time. What did Jesus say? People are going to watch the news and going to get scared. People are going to see what's going on around them. And what does it mean men's hearts failing? People are going to have heart attacks watching the news. Men's hearts failing them because of the fear of what they see coming in the earth. What's the next verse say? But those of us that are born again, but when my people see these things begin to happen, lift up your head. Your redemption draweth nigh. Now you got, listen, you got to hear that. You got no business worrying about anything. The almighty has you on his radar. The Lord is my shepherd. His eyes on the sparrow. He's watching you. Now the Bible said people who don't know Jesus, they're going to be worried sick about what's coming and they ought to be. I would be too if I didn't know Jesus, but his people have no business being worried. They are supposed to be celebrating. They are supposed to lift up their eyes and rejoice and knowing this is exactly what he said. All right, let me ask you a question. See if you, see if you can do this. How many of you were riding around this morning and spotted the buds and the, how many of you saw what, the, what are the trees doing right now? You guess spring's coming? What do y'all think? Can you look at a tree and tell them spring's coming? Listen to what Jesus said about this day. You see the bud put forth and grow tender. You know the summer is near. When you see these things happen, I'm at the door. Jesus said, if you can watch a tree bud, know summer's coming, spring's coming, you should be able to read this Bible and know he's about to step back to this planet. I mean, we'll look next week at the actual signs. It's right here. Now, let me tell you what your attitude ought to be. Let me parable this. You know, May 14, 1948 is a great day in history. August 15, 1981 is a great day in history. Today I got married. That's a big day. Uh, let me take you back. I got my, I love my sweetheart. I've been married 40 plus years now. Got married August 15, 1981. Let me take you back to June of 1981. Two months before I got married. And I knew that date was coming. I woke up every morning and I said, crap. <laughs> Two months, I've got to get married and live with her. You think? No, sir. I wasn't dreading the days. I wasn't thinking, man, I'm having better fun sleeping by myself than I am with her. Yes, sir. Wish I could sleep by myself forever. Who wants a warm woman in the bed and you'd be by yourself? 
Who wants to sing yourself to sleep at night when you can be, have somebody talk? I mean, let me take you back to June 1981. I woke up every morning and I said, just a few more days, 48 more days. <laughs> and when I woke up on August the 14th, 1981, I was delirious. <laughs> Guess why? The date was drawing close. When we get married, it is on, buddy. I was so excited about getting married. Still am, 40 some years later. Still excited about it. I'm having the time of my life right now. I'm enjoying, I mean, I still worked and had fun, but I was sure looking forward to it. I'm having fun right now. Let me tell you what I'm looking forward to. The second coming of Jesus. When I see him face to face, what a day that will be. Now let me tell you how we're going to live. Second Corinthians 4, 18 says this. We live seeing things other people can't see because the things they see on the news are temporary. The things we can see are eternal. I promise you. One more thing and I'm done. Number three, here's a word concerning what you've heard this morning. Don't spend your time staring at the sky. Don't quit your job because Jesus is coming back and get you some tuna fish and bottled water and sit in the house and wait on him. Don't do that mess. Don't, don't, get, don't be a prophecy goofball and look for signs in the papers there on the you know, checkout counters. Don't do that mess. I'm gonna quote back again, Acts chapter one. Jesus went back to heaven. And the angel said, why are you staring at the sky? Go do what he told you to do. I listen to what the Bible said you should be doing. If this is true, let me tell you what you ought to be doing in these days. Luke 19, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who takes a far journey, but he'll come back one day. And before he left, he gave to each of his servants their assignments and said, do business till the day I get back. I've given everyone you stuff to do. Everyone even know what you're supposed to be doing. Love your families, raise your families, take care of people, serve people, love God, worship God, and you do what you're supposed to do till the day he gets back. Plan like he's not coming for a hundred years. Don't say, well, Jesus is coming back. No sense going to college. You go to college and you plan on changing this world with your life. You, I plan like you've got a hundred years left, but I'm fired up about him coming back tonight. Amen. That's where the Bible says we live. <clears throat> Neither extreme. That's why we have a school. That's why I talk about 20, 30 years down the road with that school. If he tarries, please don't tarry. If he tarries, I want to affect this world. I want to affect this world for the good. Do business till I get back. But if he comes back tonight, I've got a deacon lined up to finish the service. We'll be fine if we go and do that. We'll be all right. Uh, I will pay for that. I'll quote to you one more. Let me quote to you the last verse in the Bible. He who comes says, I am coming quickly. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. That's the last verse in the Bible. That's my heart right there. Come on down. I'm ready for him to come back today. Let me quit asking you a simple question, one simple question. Are you saved? Are you ready? Do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt if I should die before I wake, Lord Jesus, my soul will take? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt? There's you can afford to be wrong about some things in right in life. Can't miss this one. What would it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Your soul's the most valuable thing you got. And you better not trade it for anything. You need to know beyond the shutter. I've asked many people, are you saved? Do you know Jesus? They say, well, I think so. You can't think about this. Let me quote to you. By this we know that we know him. He has given us of his spirit. All right, here's the tragedy. I know I look like a fool to some people, so be it. 
Can I tell you one more thing Jesus said about that day? As it, this is Matthew 24, Luke 17. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. They were buying and selling, planning their weddings and eating dinner. And then the flood came and took them all at once and they did not know it. So shall it be when I return. Let me tell you about that guy. Uh, he lived in an arid place and all of a sudden he heard something that nobody else heard. Let me tell you what he heard. Uh, this is Hebrews chapter 11, verse seven. Noah being warned by God of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear and built an ark and saved his family. God told him destruction's coming on the earth. If you want to save your family, here's what you need to do. And Noah went out in his backyard. He began to build a boat, a big boat. It was a whopper boat. Three football fields long. It took him years to build it. Let me ask you a question. What do you think was going on while he's building that boat? His neighbors started asking, no, what are you doing? He said, I'm building a boat. That's why are you building a boat? He said, because there's a flood coming on the earth. Everybody's going to get killed. It doesn't have a boat like this. Is that fine? Is that right? Oh, that's right. They would have barbecues and cook out and mock Noah. They'd watch him for years as he built that boat. He was the biggest fool in the earth, the Bible said at the time. He was an absolute fool for building an ark, a boat, miles from water, and some crazy babbling story about a flood that's going to destroy everybody. He was a fool until one day he became a genius. That day changed everything. I've had people laugh at me and say, you went to college. You seem fairly educated. When I hear you babble about this stuff, you make me wonder about you. Call me a thousand years from now and let's find out who's the fool and who's the genius. As it was in that day, Noah got in that boat, took his kids, took his in-laws, God told every animal walking that, one of two of seven of every animal walking that boat. Did Noah close the door? No. God closed the door. That was it. The world was destroyed. As it was in the days of Noah. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know who you are. I don't care if you're Vladimir Putin. I don't care if you're the most demon-possessed fool on this earth. God loves you. The door's open wide right now. Anybody can get in? God's arms are open wide right now. But I'm going to tell you something. As in the days of Noah, they're going to come a day when that door is going to close. And it's going to be closed forever. And there's going to be no getting in after that door's closed. What you do, you better do it while you still can. You need to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. I don't preach like this to win friends and influence people. I preach like this to populate heaven. I want people to be there. I was a criminal and a sinner, but God loved me and opened the door for me to get in heaven and get in his heart. And I've been in there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'd trade everything I've got to keep heaven and to keep what God's blessed me with. Now, for those of you who say, well, and I've had people tell me, I'm going to get saved later in life, but I want to do some living first. Do I look like I'm suffering? I got the girl. I thought it, I thought that too. I thought I want to follow God and become religious. Well, I still don't want to do that. I've had the greatest life since following Jesus. Let me make an announcement. I slept like a baby last night. You had your head in the toilet throwing up. Who's got the better life here? <laughs> I got the greatest life in the world. It comes from Jesus. And one of these days, I'm going to see him face to face and I'm going to live forever. It's time to make a decision. Mister, I don't want you sitting at the dinner table one night and your family disappearing and it'd be too late for you. Kids, I don't want your parents to leave you and you'll be sitting here to face the Antichrist. A friend of mine just put out a new book and he's encouraging people to get it. And the title of the book is, Where Did All the People Go? And he says, y'all don't need to read it. Lay it on your desk at work. 
Leave it laying in your home. Put it in different places. After you're gone, people will want to know where the people went. This book will tell them where they went. I don't need you reading that book. I need you reading this book and make a decision now. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you and praise you. This, sometimes my mind just goes, really? This, you think God's behind all this Russian stuff and <clears throat> you think you're going to be jerked up out of a chair one day, really? But my heart says it's true. And your word says it's true. And I cannot, <clears throat> I can't thank you enough. I wouldn't have done this for me. I wouldn't have gone to the cross for somebody like me. I wouldn't have died such a horrible death. I wouldn't love somebody like me like you do. But I want to praise you and thank you, Lord Jesus. Your word says that room's just about finished. And it is time for you to come get me. And I want to praise you and thank you. And now, Lord Jesus, ain't nothing left to do <clears throat> except find out who wants to go. Dear Holy Spirit, please fill this room. I believe you to fill this room and draw people to Jesus. Friend, do you want to accept Jesus as your Savior, your Lord, and begin to follow Him? Not just for this life, but for eternity. Are you going to turn away the man who loves you like nobody's ever loved you? Which one are you going to do? If you want to follow Jesus, commit your life to Him and be saved, be a child of God. Right there where you're seated in your heart. He lives, He's in your heart. He listens in your heart. Pray a simple prayer with me, but you've got to mean it from your heart. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you came to this earth and died on a cross because you love me. I believe you're coming back again to get people. I want to be one of them. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I turn from them. I repent. Today I make you the Savior, the Lord, and the love of my life. Enter my heart, dear Jesus. Today I decide to follow you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for speaking to me. Thank you for saving my soul forever. And I can't wait to see you face to face. Teach me what to do now by your word. I know you will. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. If you prayed that in your heart and you meant it, I want you to raise your hand real high where I can see it. Put them up real high all over. Thank you. Put those down. I want to praise you and thank you, Father. Well, if you don't come back tomorrow morning, I got to get at work on the farm and pray and do things and lead my church and all this stuff. I got a lot to do this week on the calendar. But if you come back tonight, praise God, thrill me, wouldn't bother me one bit for you to interrupt my plans. Thank you that one day you will be back. Thank you that one day we will join before the throne, not to mention all the people we will see that have gone before us. I thank you for the love of God that has created this earth for a purpose to get us to the next earth so that we can live forever with you as a father, a lover, and a friend. Let Jesus be glorified in everything we do. In his precious name we pray, amen.